sitting on my doorstep People's passing by They're coming back from getting wrecked Everybody's high Hello, loyal listeners. Welcome to Addictions, the podcast about addictions. I'm your host, David Wagner. On today's show, we are going to listen to an interview that I recorded the other day with a mother who lost a son to drug overdose. Her story is quite touching, and I just wanted to get it out to all of you as soon as possible. So here we are. The audio for this interview is a bit shaky, but... It cleaned up really well in the editing process. But enough of my crap. Here is the interview. Currently, I'm 43. I started when I was about uh, 17, 18, and got clean when I was about 35. What did you start out using? It just started with a little bit of uh, weed and coke. Then I moved my way up to, uh, in my day, we called it crank. Um, so a lot of crank, and then it kind of turned into meth, and pretty much anything I could get my hands on, pills, um, weed, booze, the only thing I never tried was heroin. Did you have a hard time getting, getting help for your addiction problem? Well, so, you know, I, of course, throughout those years, I got clean a little bit here and then, kind of, you know, going back and forth, but the last time that I got clean, what I had to do was completely remove myself from everything that I knew, me and my children. Um, I grew up in a town that everybody knew me. The stigma was there. You know, it just, it wasn't panning out. And I, you know, everything I was doing wasn't working. Um, Didn't really try, like, any real type of treatment-type programs. Um, You know, so I thought, I'll give this one more try. I ended up actually packing up myself and my kids overnight. Went lived in my parents' basement about four hours away for a couple of weeks. Uh, kind of detoxed out there a little bit. And um, now eight years later, here I am. Uh, boy, I got myself a full-time career, not even just a job. I bought a four-bedroom home, uh, refinanced it. Boy, I just, I, I could go on and on about the positive things that occurred in my life once I took myself out of that situation. And that's just for me what I had to do. No going to a meeting here or there. You know, I'd go to a meeting and I'd see the people that I'd go get high with. A lot of addicts end up having to remove themselves, you know, from, from the area, moving to another state even. I've known several people who have done that. Yeah, actually I did try at first just to move, oh, about an hour away. But it was still, it was too accessible for me. Yeah. You know, I'd go and I'd get clean for maybe a month or two, and then, you know, the cravings would come, and, boy, an hour drive is not that far when you want to get high. Jump in the car and roll up there, you know. And then I, I kind of came a little bit more clean with my family as well. They didn't really know what was going on, so once I kind of told them, you know, I, I didn't tell them the full-blown story, but once I gave them a little bit more of an idea, they were more willing to, you know, kind of, put more effort in. They were kind of getting sick of it at that time. Um, <laughs> always having to clean up my messes. So that was about the last chance that I had with them as well, was pretty much, you come here, you live with us. And, you know, at 35 years old, that was hard to suck up. But 
had to do, you know, what was right for me and my kids at that time. How often were you using? Towards the end, I would say the last month or two, I was using probably two to three days a week, you know, and then followed by about four days of trying to trudge through, maybe trying to get a little sleep, a little food, um, you know, try to do my normal routine. That, towards the end, wasn't my heaviest point of use. Um, so, you know, because like I said, I go back and forth. And then both of my pregnancies, I've had two pregnancies, one with twins and then, a, you know, just my little one. Both my pregnancies, I did stay um, clean the whole time. But the last couple years, it wasn't quite as bad because, A, for one, I was pregnant again. And then, number two, um, I was going to school. So I kind of had... I was starting to get to that phase where I knew what I was doing was wrong. But a few years prior to that, like my late 20s, early 30s, was definitely my my high point of using, or most active point of using, I should say. I actually have been about seven months now since I've used. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, since, since I've really stopped everyday use of opioids, uh, like you said, my, my life has improved massively you know still kind of dealing with some of the after effects but i'm eight years later and i still have after effects and years ago it would have got me down and that's what would have got me to using but the more clean time you get the more in a routine you get all that kind of stuff you just keep trudging on you know it gets better uh, like i said i got for the first time in my life too it was like a higher power came in and when i moved here I got a career, not a job. If you could give any advice to people that are currently struggling with an addiction, uh, what, what would it be? The first, you know, the first thing that I would want to say to somebody is the same reasons why you're probably getting high are the same reasons you should get clean and deal with them. Your family does love you, and that's who's going to be there. Yeah. When it all comes down to it and you're either locked up you know, half dead or whatever, you remember who's there. Yeah. And sometimes it might be those friends that are like family. But the ones, you know, the people that truly care about you aren't the ones that you're sitting there getting high with. You know, I thought my baby daddy was my dope dealer, basically. Yeah. And I thought it was love, love, love. And eight years, you know, later, I turned around and I'm like, that wasn't love. That was my love for dope, not for him. You know, mm-hmm. so you gotta you gotta remember who you're hanging out with too. You gotta watch, and just remember your family's there for you. They just want the best for you. That's why they're probably they don't know what to do. You know, a lot of family members they don't know how to even take that first step in recognizing that you're getting high. They need to earn your trust, and I think that that's one thing that people, you know, just because you're clean for two days or two months. Your family can't instantly trust you. No, no. You know, it's 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 years of mistrust or, you know, whatever your case may be. But, and it, you know, you got to remember that you'll get there. I've been struggling. I think I put it in, in my email, you know, with my son's overdose. Yeah. Um, the last couple of weeks. And the hardest part is for me, I'm just struggling because... I came and got clean and, you know, to sort of watch that play out in my son the last five, six years. And then with what happened, being able to talk about 
any of this to anybody is something that I want to do. Yeah. You know, whether it's my part, Ian's part, you know, he's 20 years old, so I can I get what I went through, and then I'm also getting what these kids are kind of going through, too. Yeah. To me, you know, it's, it's a different world, but... You know, I just I was just really happy when I saw the little thing come up in my feed, and I thought, God, I gotta contact this guy. What was your son's drug of choice? Ian's drug of choice was Xanax. Yeah. Which is a little bit different. Well, I'm finding out it's not different. Yeah, I at all. I often abused Xanax in combination with the opioids, which is a bad idea. Well, uh, that's how he passed. It was yeah. from Xanax, and for some reason he took methadone with it. Oh yeah, that's. That's really rough. I did that, and I ended up going to the ER because I was so scared that I was, you know, on the brink. Yeah. And I got really lucky several times, and I, I don't want to be playing that luck game anymore, you know. No, I mean, I'll uh, be pretty straight. They found him at his friend's house five hours later. Nobody even noticed. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, you know, this this epidemic. Yeah. Boy, you know, here I, here I thought... Well, I can put this in the past, you know, and then come and do do my thing and get on the straight and narrow. And, wow, I mean, and what I'm learning through all this, too, it affects everybody. Addiction doesn't care nowadays. No, no. Your, your, your socioeconomic status, your, I mean, it doesn't matter. I was listening to NPR, National Public Radio, a couple days yep. ago, and they were talking about these, a lot of lawyers are becoming addicted to certain drugs and a lot of opioids and stuff, you know, and, and you're right. It doesn't discriminate against anyone. Before, it used to just be the poor people yep. or, you know, whatever. And now it's just, I mean, and even, and it's, it's odd, too, because I don't think a lot of people look at the alcohol aspect, too. I mean, we're dealing with drugs. You know, all of this illegal stuff, yet we still got liquor stores on every corner. Exactly. You know, so a lot of people are coming off these addictions, turn into booze. And yeah. that's not that's not any better either. No. You it, know? But it's it's kinda strange how our society alcoholism is almost more acceptable by society than heroin or or Xanax yeah. or ben, you know, whatever. Um, it is. It's really odd and you know, like I said, and I feel like, so a lot of people, you know, a lot of people are going through treatment because they're court-ordered. We all know that. Yeah. You know, also they got to comply with drug tests and this and that and the other. So what are they doing? They're turning to booze. It's out of your system in 48 hours. I've got people in my family that are dealing with that, actually. Um, I honestly, I, I look at people that are alcoholics and I think, how can you get drunk every day? But they probably look at me yeah. and say, well, how can you use opiates every day? That is exactly where I'm at. I could go 10 years without a drink. I cannot stand liquor. But even to this day, you put something in front of my face, you never know. Yeah. You know, but that, oh, I just, for that's kind of odd. I don't meet a lot of people like that, but alcohol has just never been my thing. And I don't understand how, you know, day drinking and all that, can, I don't get it. But yet, I used to just stay up for 14 days on math. Yeah. But I don't get how people could drink every day, so kind of uh, ironic there. How long ago was it that your son overdosed? Three weeks ago tomorrow. Oh, wow. So recently. Yeah. Mm. Yep. This is really what prompted me to want to get this this word out, and I'm really glad that actually we're talking today. Uh, yeah, I got to 
finally pick him up today. His stepmom did. And, you know, they always say that you're either going to die or go to jail. Well, yeah, we got to pick up my son, and it was his remains from the morgue. Yeah. And trust me, I would have much rather picked that kid up from jail. I'm really and sorry for your loss. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate all the words, you know, and I appreciate the interview to get this out because it's just we're losing these young kids. He was actually on probation. It was a relapse. I think we're losing about 140 people a day to overdoses. Yep, I just read that. Um, I've been doing just on the computer yeah. I can't sleep anyways, you know? Yeah. And I, I thought I read something statistically like that, too. I mean, he got busted almost a year ago to the date of his death with about 50 Xanax pills, was put on probation, ordered no treatment or anything. Really? Was put on, which I find really odd. Yeah, they that's... put him on, like, this light you know, check in, we call your number kind of thing. He had a minor, he had 50 Xanax, 20 Klonopin, and a half ounce of weed. Yeah. And they they ordered no court, and because of no medical insurance, we didn't get the rule, you know, whatever that rule is, to where they would cover treatment. Yeah. And the first thing you call, treatment, oh, what's your insurance number? Well, we don't have any. Yup. This day and age, you have to have it. And he just kind of, you know, Kind of went back and forth the first few months of probation. These last six months, he got himself a full-time job overnight, working, you know, in a grocery store. They actually promoted him a couple times. Just got his union card. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you want to talk. I mean, he's not perfect. Well, Nobody's no, perfect. Nobody is. But he was making the biggest strides I'd ever seen him take. And, you know, when you... Again, here, kind of this reverts back to my situation. He went and hung out with somebody that he used to use with. Mm-hmm. His real friends, his twin, he's a twin. His twin brother, nobody would allow this to happen to him. His real friends. Yeah. Boy, if somebody wants to come over and, you know, do whatever they got to do on their end and they're going to leave you a pile of dope to do it, you're going to do it. Yeah. You know, and that's your so-called friend. You know, looking back, and I just, I can envision where everybody's even sitting in the room. And all I think was, that was not my friend (laughs) at all. That was my enabler. And, you know, I do want to just mention, too, you know, Ian had this love for Xanax. But to be quite honest, he was one of the kids that grew up in the era of, your kid has ADHD, let's throw him some pills. Exactly. Um. From kindergarten on up, so I finally had him tested when he was like 13, and then they put him on Ritalin and Adderall. So I mean, it's not like God, the Adderall just huh? The Adderall that can be a pretty bad situation too. Yeah, and that's what ended up happening towards the end was he was abusing it, and the thing was is I again I feel insurance had to play in that because. We would have insurance some months and not the others, and then he wasn't taking it regularly, Mm -hmm. and then he kind of learned, like, ooh, I'll save them, and then if I'll use it for that. Well, you can't do that. That means you're getting high off it. You know what I mean? You're just using the effects of the pill to take your test. This is, like, something you need to take every day. So while his main poison was Xanax, I would definitely say he's been known to take other things as well. But honest to gosh, I've never known him to take methadone. 
I don't even know, and that's where, I mean, we have the investigations pending, and, um, oh, what do you call it, the autopsy, we're still kind of waiting on that, but his friend admitted to selling him the methadone um, to the investigators. They're sure that's what did it. Yeah, I, well, the combination, that the uh, opioids and benzos, that is like the number one deadly drug combination out there. And it's odd because Ian was a, like I said, he was a pill addict. He loved pills. And I always remember him telling me opiates and benzos don't mix. Once Mm -hmm. he said that, I recall him saying that he would be really like, he was obsessive about pills. You know, it's, it's, what do, you know, he was high. Yeah. It was probably, you know, a one time or maybe a, you know, once in a once in a blue moon kind of thing, and this just this one time. Sometimes that's all it takes. The the person that sold them to him, the friend, watched him take four of them throughout the night. I mean, at what point don't you tell somebody you shouldn't do that? And methadone is kind of a tricky drug to begin with because it's got such a long half life. It stays in your body for. You could take it one day, but 72 hours later, you're still going to have half of what you took in your system. I have no clue about methadone. I'm just learning it's, about it now. It's tricky. Um, yeah, that's what I'm finding. And Very tricky. Benzos, they have a, a relatively short half-life compared to methadone. But the two just don't don't go together. Nope, not at all. And that's... You know, I think, say, oh, my son overdosed. Every single person, honest to gosh, their first thing was heroin. And I said, no, pills, actually. And people were just shocked, you know. And that, yep, and that's all it is, is a path of and you, destruction. You know, you've got to think about, we are in one of the worst economic times, probably since the Great Depression, especially for younger people. It's, it's, it's... There's a lot going on, you know, and it's it's not easy being a young kid these days. Uh, that is exactly what I say all the time. I would never want to be that age again with this social media, uh, just everything. Just everything right now is just not good for the kids. Well, and you know? I, I can imagine that your son, he probably used, for some of the same reasons I used, uh... It was an escape, you know, from yep. mundaneness of life, you know, and reality. Uh, you just get to a point where you just want to be out of your mind, you know, not and not dealing with stuff. And sometimes drugs can provide that, but it's it's not real, you know. It's exactly, and I would say you just hit the nail on the head. That was Ian, you know. He would escape. He he was a twin, I think I mentioned that. Yeah. And his twin brother has always naturally excelled. Ian's struggled. Yeah, I mean, you name it, it's happened to Ian. We always call him bad luck Ian, you know, and yeah. whatever. Um, so he's always kind of struggled a little bit with watching his brother excel so naturally too. So I feel like sometimes... You know, a couple of the reasons that he would have used is to be more social, you know, to be like his brother. Um, and I think a lot of his was to be social. He was super quiet, and then as they got older, he could see his brother really flourish socially. Yeah. It helped him that way. 
and then he didn't do well in school, um, you know, for whatever reason. And I think him not graduating really, really ate at him. And I, cause it's something he would talk about a lot when he get high. Yeah. Was the not graduating. So I know that just weighed real heavy on him. So yeah, definitely it's that, about that escape. Man, that's rough. I, I couldn't imagine what you, what you must be going through. Uh, again, I'm I'm so sorry for your loss. That's, I just, I picture myself with my daughter, you know, she's only 10 years old, but I can, I can only imagine what it must feel like. It's really hard. He was living at home, getting his things, you know, getting things together. Yeah. And honestly, it was like the, one of the first times, I mean, it's, me and his dad are separated, but we keep our divorce. And but we have a very good relationship, and this actually brought yeah. everybody even closer. You know, we—I don't know—we're just kind of taking it day by day. You know, mm-hmm. some days are good, some days are bad. I know today I felt very much at peace, knowing knowing that we have him home, not in the way that we would have ever wanted him. Well, no, but but it, you know, but at least it, it's bringing some peace to people you know my nine-year-old will never I've got a little note that he wrote that I didn't mean to come across really and I mean it's just heart-wrenching the pictures that I have of you know of Gavin standing over Ian's casket I took a video um you know I it's but I want to be able to remember as well I didn't want to you know leave that funeral and not have any pictures someday because I thought looking back what you know it, it was hard. Nobody wanted to do it. So I just kind of figured I'm going to do this because if it's something someday people want, then we have it. And yeah, and I would, you know, it might be difficult at first, but I would try to celebrate the life that he did have, you know. Yep. Rather than dwell on Definitely. what has happened. Okay, so that is the interview. I want to, number one, thank that woman for reaching out and sharing her story. I know for me it would be difficult to keep it together after such a tragedy, but she did great. And I hope that by hearing her story, it helps put things into perspective for us. Addiction is just terrible, and it really does not discriminate. It can happen to anyone. That being said, I just want to say that If you or someone you know is having an issue with addiction, do not be afraid to come forward and speak up. And we all need to drop our preconceived notions about addiction and reserve judgment of people with addiction. Because every single case is different. And from the outside looking in, well, you just can't, you cannot judge a book by its cover. Again, I'm David Wagner. This has been the Addictions Podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook for updates to the show and links to all of the episodes. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash addictionspodcast. That's facebook.com slash addictionspodcast. And you can also contact us through the Facebook page or by visiting our Addictions Podcast website at www.addictionspodcast.wordpress.com. Again, that's www.addictionspodcast.wordpress.com. And you can just click the contact button at the top of the page there and send us an email or a voicemail message. Excuse me. 
And also, if you really, really like the show and you want to support it, you can do that by going to www.patreon.com slash addictions. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash addictions. Again, I want to thank you all for listening and never quit quitting. Still a jerk after the buzz is gone.